0: Well, as it happens, today um, so I want to talk about anger, um, right anger. Probably not the topic I would have chosen to speak to you first on if I'd had the choice, but, but there you go, that's where it fell. Um, certainly seems like we're an angrier public space. The faces at the top, that seems like what the media, you see that a lot in the media, angry people. Um, angry about sexual abuse, anger, anger about the environment. Um, if any of you hang around on social media, you would have seen the angry face there. There's a lot of angry comments. Um, I'm conscious that we, um, there's a lot of people who are around my age, in middle age, there's a lot of grumpy middle-aged people in this room who um, have probably got good reason to be grumpy. You've seen a lot of things, a lot of sheep bites in church, a lot of messy stuff in the world. You've lived long enough to be angry at lots of things. And by the way, all these things are things that are good to be angry about, maybe not on social media, but um, I'm not talking about tonight about um, selfish anger. I'm talking about. Right anger, righteous anger, anger about things we should be angry about. And I want to reflect on that. And I'm sure that we've all got plenty of those things. Um, I'm not sure that we are getting any angrier, but we're certainly happy to express it more. And I think that's really what I want to talk about is handling. How do we handle right anger properly? And this passage that we've read tonight, it's a good one, because here we see Jesus getting angry, furious. Um, I love John's Gospel, but I haven't really loved this passage. For me, it's uncomfortable. Um, We see Jesus getting not just angry, but violent. Um, And as far as I can tell, that's about the only time he does it. And that's interesting and, and I think important. What, what is it that would get Jesus so angry that he would get violent about it? So let's, let me just read the first, little, first few verses because here's where we see what he's angry about. Um, I think I might have a different version, but I'm reading from verse 13. The Jewish Passover was near and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem and in the temple he found people selling oxen Sheep and doves. He also found the money changers sitting there, and after making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. And he told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. There's lots of moving parts in, this, in these few verses, and also we're quite culturally distant from what's going on. Um, the first thing to recognise here is that Jesus is on very edgy political ground. I've always wondered, how, how did he get away with this? How did he not get, why did they let it happen? This one guy clear the temple. And part of that's because in, in the Roman Empire, it was a capital offence to desecrate a temple. You could be killed for you, you graffiti on a temple, uh, you could be executed. And so what's going on here is a bit of a two-edged sword. Jesus is actually accusing them of desecrating a temple. Um, um, interestingly, later on, when the Jews are trying to bring, the Pharisee or the leaders are trying to um, get Jesus executed... This is the charge they brought against him. This guy said that he was going to tear down our temple because, again, that's a capital offence. We can get him on that. Um, So everyone's being really cautious here except Jesus Um, because this is serious. Um, And the particular thing that Jesus is really angry about is making the temple into a marketplace. Now, we need to be careful here All the things that were happening there are things that were necessary things. Um, For you to be able to go to the temple and make an offering in the temple, you needed temple money, or at least a particular type of money. It was special. It was a very high grade of silver That was because you didn't give God the poor things. You gave God the best. And so you needed to change your money into the proper money. You also needed sacrifices. If you'd traveled a long way, you needed a sacrifice to offer. So all these people were actually offering services that were necessary. They were, at one level, enabling worship. It was all sort of part of the deal. Um, certainly Jesus was angry that it was happening in the, in the court of the Gentiles. He was definitely angry that they were hindering Gentiles worshipping. Um, the, the money sellers, the money changers and the... Um, Sacrifice sellers actually were previously out. In fact, a while back, they were way out of Jerusalem, and then they moved a bit closer, and now they moved closer in. Um, so Jesus was certainly angry that the Gentiles were being kept away from the temple. That was going on too, um, and he was angry enough to use force. Um, and we need to feel the weight of that too. I think. Like he made a whip out of ropes, and it wasn't he wasn't just flipping a table, and you hear people explain it, it's a bit like a prophetic act, uh, like a prophetic drama. There was more going on there than just a bit of prophetic drama. He was whipping people out of the temple. Um, another note, punishment always causes harm. We're in a very um, funny world at the moment with discussions of harms, um, but punishments are painful Consequences are severe. And Jesus was happy to execute a punishment upon people. So this was really serious stuff. Jesus is angry that people were preventing worship, but more than that, he was angry that, it was, that corporate worship was being turned into a marketplace. It was being commodified. It was being, there was an economic thing going on. I'm going to come back to that in a little while. But he was angry. And by the way, I think everyone in this room, and I think everyone everywhere, deep down, agrees that um, some things just are evil. It's right to be angry about them. It's right to execute consequences, even if there are extreme consequences on people. People agree on that. The real question is, well, who decides? Who gets the right to be angry? And we're in a world now where there's sort of a competition to be the most, offended against and I have the most right to be angry. I'm the most um, aggrieved. So the Jews, that's the question they really come back at Jesus with. Um, Why do you get to decide? So it goes on in verse 18, so the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Who are you? How are you going to prove to us that you are the one who can execute this judgment, that you're the one that can get angry at us? And Jesus' answer, it's a really beautiful answer, it's very subtle, it's actually quite humble, but it reframes, or it frames the whole um, question beautifully. And in a nutshell, his answer is, who am I? Well, I'm the new temple. Um, Everything that is going on here, I'm fulfilling all of that. I am God present with you. And by the way, he could have just said that. Jesus could have come in and just could have flashed a bit of glory like he did up on a hill later on and blown them away and said, I'm God, you just shut up and listen. He didn't do that. Um, Jesus is also God expressing anger at evil. But Jesus is also the sacrifice in the temple, and Jesus is also the priest mediating between us and God in the temple. Um, everything is wrapped up in Jesus. He's the fulfillment of all that's going on at the temple, and the fundamental business of the temple, the sign, they ask for a sign. What's the sign? The sign is that the temple is the place where God's anger is wrapped up in his grace and his love and where he's atoning and sorting all this out. And so yeah, anger is real, but it's wrapped in love and it's wrapped in redemption and it's wrapped in restoration and it's wrapped in hope. And that's what Jesus is saying. He, he's saying, I'm the sign that God's anger comes wrapped in grace. Um, and that's true for all, all right anger. It should be like that. And I, think, I think we get the sense that we get angry because we love. If people hurt people we love, we get angry. But it sort of has to be wrapped in love all the way down. It's love, we love all the way to the end. The love has to be rest- restorative and redemptive. Sorry, the, the anger. It's not out for revenge. You should get this, at least with your kids, how that operates, how... Anger wrapped in love operates. It's a really trivial story. There's a lot more things to be angry about. But I remember when our kids were a bit, bit little in Melbourne, I can't... Jeremy, the one who's moved up with us, might have been, I don't know, seven or eight or something. He was little. But all four, I found all four of them in the laundry and they were playing a game. It was a big old sort of open top washing machine that we had. Um, there was no safety things on them. You could get the lid open. And they had, the, they had the washing machine on and they were playing this game where you had to sort of stick your hand down in the bottom of the washing machine. I don't know what they were trying to grab out of it. Anyway, um, so I lost my temper at them and yelled at them and grabbed them out. I still remember Jeremy standing in the hallway with one hand behind his back because he must have been out by that stage and the other ones were getting in trouble. I said, what about you? Did you do it? And he said, no. Nope. And I said, show me a hand. <laughs> Um, and so he tries to dry his hand. <laughs> no, it's all good. It wasn't me. Now, trivial story, but that's what it's like. You love your kids to bits and you get angry at them. But it's for their sake and you don't stop loving them. And it's not revenge. That's not what's going on. And Jesus is saying, all this, that's the sign. I'm the new temple. Um, and then really interestingly, he says... And Basically, to prove it to you, I'm going to rise again. Um, Jesus answered, destroy this temple, talking about himself, destroy this new temple, and I will raise it up in three days. And that's sort of the humble bit, because he still sorts of... Again, he could offer dramatic enforcing evidence, but he doesn't do that. Um, He points to the cross and says... um, You guys decide what you make of this. And he points to the resurrection. That's the evidence. The evidence is the resurrection. Um, And By the way, luckily I don't really know hardly anyone in this room, so I don't know who's here who's a believer, who's not a believer. Um, But if you are a questioner or a doubter, um, that's what it comes down to. Um, If the resurrection happened... It's all true. If the resurrection didn't happen, you're wasting your time. Go over the road, go to the the restaurant. Um, We are wasting our time. So that's Jesus' answer. Who are you to decide? Well, I'm God. Um, I'm angry at sin, but I'm seeking restoration. Anger wrapped in love. And then we see how people respond to this. And this is sort of where the rubber hits the road for us too. Um, as I said, I at, at 9 and 11 a few weeks ago, John's Gospel is all about belief. It's aimed at belief. John's writing this so we might believe. And what you see, you saw it in the last story, um, and they believed, and here you get belief too. But the belief in this one is starting to get a little bit ambiguous. So in verse 22, you get the disciples so when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. They believed, and they believed properly, if that's the right word. They, they pieced it together. Wow, okay, you're the fulfillment of all this stuff. You're the fulfillment of God reconciling the world to himself. We get it. But then there were other people who believed that maybe didn't get it. So it goes on in verse 23. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name, when they saw the signs he was doing, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them, since he knew them all. I think the sense we have here is there are a whole lot of people, and you see this flowing through John. There are people who are happy to follow along if they're getting stuff out of it. If I get a healing out of it, if I get a miracle out of it, if I get some food out of it, I follow the signs. I'm not really interested in you getting a mucking around in my heart. And again, that's what Jesus is angry about. He's angry when corporate worship is not a heart thing, but it's an economic thing. It's a, it's a transaction thing. There is a transaction, by the way, in, in faith, in Christian faith. There's a currency. What we're doing here has a currency. Let's just jump over to Romans 12. And this is the currency. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. That's the... The currency here is we give our lives as a sacrifice to God and let him transform us and redeem us and renew us. It's internal currency that God is on about, not external things. Um, and Jesus was angry because worship had been ter- talked in, turned into something where we'll benefit from this, we'll make mileage out of this, we'll profit out of this. And Jesus hates economic worship. What he's interested in, and this is not a word, but I just made it up. He's interested in templic worship. Um, He's interested in in hearts and atonement and redemption. That's what he cares about. He's not interested in economic worship. Um, And by the way, the material currency, that's low-hanging fruit. It's easy to, particularly, I imagine, in in our tradition, we're good at pointing at a prosperity sort of gospel and saying, no, that's terrible. I was in Nairobi visiting Judy's parents. We were, we were there a while back. And Benny Hinn, I don't know if you know who Benny Hinn is. He's a TV evangelist in America. He flew into Nairobi in his private jet, ran a meeting. In this meeting that was in a park at the university, there were something like one million people turned up. Now, Nairobi has, only has about three million people, and more than a million are in poverty. And when I say poverty, I mean slums, And they turned up, and they went here, and here's this guy with his private jet and his diamond rings, and he was asking them to give give him money. Um, I would not want to be in his shoes. Um, When you see when he meets Jesus, when you see Jesus' attitude toward people, turning corporate worship into economic benefit, Um, Jesus is rightly angry. But there are other currencies that we play in, as well. Um, These days, we have like a celebrity currency. I don't quite know what the coinage is, but um, we like hanging around with the right people and the cool people. Um, We have our heroes because of what we get out of it by being in that gang or being right. There's a church I know in Sydney, I won't mention any names, but they had a celebrity preacher there for a number of years um, who finished up and moved on. Australian celebrity, not mega well famous, but um, within a year or two that church halved in size after their famous preacher left. Um, what is that saying about what people were at church for, what they'd committed to, what they'd bought into? Um, And the currency might just be who's tickling your ears at the moment, who's entertaining you. There are other ways that we, corporate worship is what I can just get out of it, what I enjoy. There's social currencies. There's influence that we can have over people. Um, There's lots of different ways that we can make church economic. Um, But Jesus hates that. He wants a temp- temple currency. He wants you here um, ripping, opening your heart, transform me, redeem me, atone. That's, that's the business of this place. And that's the proper belief. That's what Jesus is calling for. Just one more thing. Let me say one more thing to finish, and that is. Jesus Key also gives us a great model of how to be angry. Um, and we need to be, we need our anger wrapped up in love as well. So I'm wondering, well, you don't have to tell me, but I'm wondering who you are angry at right now. And, and again, rightly angry. I don't just mean grumpy and stupidly angry, but who are you properly, rightly angry with right now? Because it's like gossip, right? The worst gossip is true gossip because then you've, you can sort of dwell in it. Same thing, righteous anger. Oh, yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> Who are you angry at? At work? Or in church? Or at home? Who are you angry at? And, and is your anger fully wrapped in love? Even if it started there, sometimes it escapes out of that and ends up in other places. Who are you angry at? Um, Let me tell you another trivial kid story. When um, our eldest son, Sam, used to play competition tennis when he was like 13 or 14, went and saw him play, play a match, and the kid he was playing against had a good serve, but the rest of his game was terrible, and I was just getting really annoyed, mainly because the game wasn't good. Now, this is not serious anger. It's also not righteous, but you'll get the point. Um, I was getting frustrated, and I was there with Judy, and I was starting to get annoyed. I was saying, this kid, can you just do this? And Why can't you do this? And Anyway, the game finished. After the game ended, Sam came and said hello to us, and the kid went and came to say hello to his mum, and it turns out I'm sitting next to the mum, after spending half an hour just um, teeing off on the kid. And obviously I felt terrible. Um, but it just it sort of, sh- the light went on thinking, yeah, wow, everyone, look around, everyone here, they're God's kid, everyone you're with is God's kid. Um, I didn't love that kid, I didn't care about that kid, couldn't care less. I was, by the way, my assessment was right. His tennis was rubbish, but that's not the point. I didn't love him, and I didn't care for him. And it, our anger, it might be right, and, might be, and there'll be things to deal with, and it'll be messy. doesn't mean it'll be smooth and easy, but is it wrapped up in love? Um, by the way, we are about to do the Lord's Supper. Um, and in Corinthians, there's lots of... Um, Sort of yes, but, yes, but, yes, but in Corinthians. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, Paul goes really hard and says, you are messing this up. And one of the things he says is make sure that there's no unrighteous anger, no anger that's, well, nothing between people that isn't wrapped up in love. Jesus takes this stuff really seriously. Um, And by the way, I'll just read a couple of verses from Romans that we had read out. We don't have to sort it all out. That's the other cool thing about being Christian. It's the other cool thing about Jesus being the Lord of the universe, the one who does the atoning. Verse 17, this is Romans 12 still, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honourable in everyone's eyes. And then this is the, the kicker. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. If you are righteously angry, do whatever you can. As much as is up to you, do whatever you can to sort it out. But if you can't, give it to God. Um, And by the way, my natural tendency is to read that as I'll let God get them. That's not the point. God is not into revenge. We can entrust it to God because God's anger is wrapped up in love. And he will bring justice. But he will always be angry rightly. And he will be angry the right way. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the new temple and that in him we see your power and your glory and your anger and your forgiveness and your redemption and your restoration and your raising of dead, broken people to life. Lord, I pray that each person in this room would believe in that Jesus and that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices, that we would have a temple view of this community and not an economic view, and that our currency would be in laying our hearts bare for you to transform. And Lord, we pray that in our anger we wouldn't sin, that all our anger would be wrapped up in love um, that we'd be able to deal with it as much as possible and live at peace with each other and resolve things, but that we wouldn't ultimately leave it to you. Um, we bring before you this evening um, the people we are particularly angry at. Um, we pray you pour out your spirit on those relationships and bring restoration, um, but above all, continue love and bearing with. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for his great example and his great love. And even in this whole story, he's sorting it all out for us. And we give it to him and we pray these things in his name. Amen.